Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of Conversations. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. On our program, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome to Conversations. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I'm so excited to have my friend Mark Nepo back. With over a million copies sold, Mark has moved and inspired readers and seekers all over the world with his number one New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening. Beloved as a poet, teacher, and storyteller, Mark has been called one of the finest spiritual guides of our time, a consummate storyteller and an eloquent spiritual teacher. His work is widely accessible and used by many, and his books have been translated into more than 20 languages. A best-selling author, he has published 22 books and recorded 15 audio projects. Mark, how do you do it? Welcome. Oh, it's great to be back with you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Only someone who really, really, really loves what they do could possibly do all the books that you've done with the kind of depth. I mean, it's one thing to write romance novels, <laughs> but it's another to no. write about the soul. And your new book, The Book of the Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters, it explores the struggle to inhabit the soul on earth through our messy human lives and how underneath our differences we can be who we are everywhere and create a path to what matters. Well, let's start out there. What matters? How do we find what matters, Mark? <laughs> well, I think that, well, first let me say thank you. And, and you know, I, I have written so many books because I really prefer saying I retrieve them. And uh, I am because I write about what I need to learn. I write about what I don't know. Um, which is counter, you know, we're taught as kids, you know, say what, say what you're going to say, say it, conclude it. No, it's, you know, life goes the other way. I mean, this is the trail of inquiry. If I wrote about what I knew, I would have written very little. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think like all the traditions, all the spiritual journeys, um, they're, they're all about finding our way again and again to the foundation of what matters. And there's a paradox there because living, just like, you know, living covers us over, you know, the windows here in my study, uh, they get filmed with weather and then we have to clean them. And then we fill, they get filmed again. And it's not that they're dirty, you know, dirty has this value judgment. They're just covered by experience. And then we clean them to see through them again. The only difference when we do that as human beings, whatever it is that cleans it, which is introspection and honesty and authenticity and relationship and love and suffering, all these things, all the practices, every time we clean the window of the heart, the eye, the mind, we gain an inch of wisdom. Mm. And this, and we are uh, blessedly, and it's difficult at times, we are in this process all 
all the time. I think there's a difference between, this helps us look at the difference between progress and incarnation. Because progress outwardly is certainly we, you know, we can do our best and it leaves the next generation with some, a place to start from that we didn't. There is progress. You know, you, you can have a, an image of this for me is imagine, imagine a, a tribe of either Native Americans or, or any, any kind of indigenous tribe that has left and migrated and they, they come to a, they see up on a hill, on a clearing, or halfway up a mountain, a perfect place to build a village. And they spend much of their, the adults spend much of their years clearing the trees to make this plateau from which to live, never, never uh, straying from the vastness, that perspective. So their children are born with that perspective. That's progress. They, they didn't have to clear the trees. Their, their elders did. And incarnation is everything that every human has to go through. Uh, no, nobody gets a shortcut, you know you know, birth, death, all the archetypes, right? You know, birth, death, love, loss, grief, wonder, friendship, betrayal, suffering, all of that's incarnation because everyone, doesn't matter what you start with, doesn't matter how many modern tools or not, um, everyone, it's our turn to go through that. And, and that brings us to now, you know, in this pandemic, I mean, the, catalysts change but every generation uh gets something that jars us to our bones uh in our incarnation and we are you know being faced with you know terrible suffering terrible things that are happening and yet all the traditions speak about it but it's not it's not abstract right now you know, the Hindu tradition says, thou art that, we are each other. What happens to one happens to all. Well, now very much so. That's not an abstract idea or a lovely idea. That's tools in a toolkit. Mm -hmm. Wow. It, it really strikes me that this particular jarring, you say the jarring, uh, that... Um, uh, there's a relationship of the jarring to the need for an evolutionary jump right now with the systems that we have in place that are that should have died long ago but continue to our economic system for instance or our relationship to the ecology our relationship more than anything else to each other i'm just wondering about that sense of the need being so high at this time to meet the challenge of the jarring uh, that we're having. Well, I think I think what's very and this is where you know, uh, you know, for me this has um, echoed for me uh, what we're going through collectively. A lot of what I went through emotionally during my cancer journey 30 years ago and almost dying from a rare form of lymphoma. You know, from my work and. Um, and so you know, I think what like you know, cancer is a disease. It's nothing holy or magnificent about it but but what is opened is always more important than what opens us 
And so my life was turned upside down and inside out. And it was a, and, you know, and we've touched on this before, but it's important to say that it's just not uh, life-threatening things that create transformation, openings for transformation. It could be wonder, it could be joy, it could be unconditional love for the first time, a revelation, you know, it could be any beauty. Uh, for me, it ha usually it's both. We get a combination of both. You know, for me, it was my cancer journey, and that's why. But here, this pandemic, there's nothing holy or, you know, magnificent uh, about coronavirus, but it is a catalyst collectively now. What is it? And so the question is, what is it opening yeah. in all of us, in humanity? And, and what is it about that is being broken down, as you're suggesting, and I agree, that shouldn't be put back together? And what is being broken that needs to be put back together. And we need each other to discern that. Mm -hmm. And it, ra it also raises for me the, you know, th there's so much sacrifice, amazing sacrifice going on. The, all these amazing health workers and, and people, you know, and our, our people who are bringing the mail and who are delivering medicine from pharmacies and putting food on the shelves for us. You know, all these heroes, everyday heroes, and and that sacrifice comes out of a, a deeper, more ancient soil of sacrifice, because the original definition of the word sacrifice means to give up what no longer works in order to stay close to what is sacred. Mm. Mm -hmm. wow. Give up what no longer works in order to stay close to what is sacred. So the question is, you know, for me individually years ago is yes, yes, what did I need to give up that I was still blessed to be here that was no longer working to stay close to what is sacred because I was given a second chance to be alive. And now we're being asked as we enter all this, what is it that no longer works that we need to give up mm -hmm. to restore and reanimate what's sacred within us and between us. Yeah. And you also say, said uh, what needs to be put back together. And I was thinking about early in your book, talking about what needs to be birthed. You talked about the second womb and the process of birthing and inhabiting our soul. We are relatively operating from a soulness place as a, as a culture and society. What would that mean, birthing, uh, inhabiting our soul? Well, I think it, I, I, for me, and again, as we always, when we talk, you know, I, I, I don't have any answers. We're just, you know, <laughs> giving our best guess. Jazz, Mark, it's just jazz. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, so of course I don't know, but what touches me is the fact that this is an opportunity for all of us to awaken and and put back together the, the original kinship of our aliveness, our humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what suffering uh, and great love do for us. It reminds us that we are deeply connected. And this is how compassion is widened and deepened. You know, one of the sections of the book, the new book is widening our circle. And, and that comes from a, an Einstein insight where he said basically it's a long quote it's in there but basically what he's saying is you know look we all we all think we have a circle of close intimate relationships 
But he said, the truth is, everything is intimate. And our job is to continually, to continually widen our circle of compassion. And that's one of the, you know, again, the lessons for me of, the, of this inquiry, this book, is that when we can um, assume our true inheritance, when we can widen our circle, uh, when we can help each other stay awake, I feel like we discover that the temple is the world. The temple is the world. There are no walls to the temple. You know, yes, we, we find holy relationships and we meet in sanghas and temples and mosques and churches and, you know, but all of that is practice for the walls to come down when we discover that the temple is the world. Hmm. Every, everywhere it's sacred. Yeah, yeah, so beautiful, I love that. You know, one of the things I've been noticing in my own teaching and consulting and coaching is that I've, I've come to this place of feeling that there's, you had another name for it, and I can't remember this moment what it was, but that we're each born with an essential goodness that you know that that there's something about just the process of coming into life coming into life with essential goodness and it's really helped me to open my heart to some people that it's challenging to open your heart to sometimes and you talk about in the book um the the purpose of the human journey and i'd like to talk a little bit about how you uh perceive the purpose of the human journey in general yeah, so for me, I feel it's been very humbling that I think the purpose of our time on earth is for the, to bring alive that kernel, that little pocket, that ounce of universal spirit mm -hmm. within us, which wants to join with everything. And it joins through our gifts and our care and our love and and it brings us to each other and so you know the soul i i you know recently it's not in this book but i've been thinking about what we're talking about this way and and it feels to me the metaphor recent metaphor is that you know as fire needs wood the soul needs care to burn bright it doesn't care uh, it doesn't matter, because I'm using the word care, it doesn't matter to the soul, I believe, what you care about. Just like it doesn't matter to the fire what kind of wood you put in it. It only wants us to care. And we can go through simple or complicated ways to get to care. But it's all about, and, and this brings us to, to I think, you know, the role of our ambitions, our goals, our dreams, and certainly we, we have to dream and have goals and work toward things. But I feel like I know in my life, my earlier life, and I feel it's normal, it's, you know, this is part of our journey. Um, we hold on to, we make gods out of our dreams and our wants and our ambitions. And I think they're just kindling for the aliveness of the heart. Mm. It really doesn't matter what we strive for. We, may, we need to do that just like you have to put kindling on a fire to get the uh, deeper logs to go. 
yeah, so we we got to burn this ambition and that dream, and yeah, and make our way all so that we come alive fully where where we are. And I I think humbly, so this raises two things that are very I think inescapable uh, parts of everyone's destiny. And one is um, that we often I'll put it this way for me working for what I want has often been an apprenticeship for working with what I'm given. Mm. Wow. Working for what I want is an apprenticeship for what I've been given. Wow. That's, and it that's doesn't, amazing. And it takes, it takes a lot to unravel and get still and quiet enough. You mentioned in your book FOMO, and I love that term fear of missing out. And I noticed that a lot of the people I work with are, are still working at this kind of frantic pace. You know, here we are in lockdown with this opportunity to, to get still and have some meditative time. And yet there's this kind of striving and this fear that we're going to miss something. Social media and YouTube and things like that are designed to suck our mm -hmm. energy designed to suck you in. So how can we learn to immerse ourselves in life when we can hardly be in the moment? Well, this is, this goes, you know, this is made more acute right now, but this is uh, something I, I do talk about in the book that this is why we need to meet the outer world with an inner life. Not doesn't mean we have to have everything figured out, right. but we have to be, find our commitment to what's real um, and authentic so that we meet the outer world. Because if we don't meet existence from with an inner life, existence will crush us. Not, not because it's evil or mean, but it's like the way water will fill any hole. So we are charged to meet outer with inner. So therefore, one of the things about technology, and, and technology is a tool, it's inert. It doesn't have values. It's like a screwdriver. But if we don't meet or use that, pick up that tool with an inner life, the characteristics of technology will become our default values. Mm -hmm. And so technology races everywhere. Mm -hmm. Technology multitasks. You know, and the thing that's true from all generations is that, and, and I love the tools. I don't, I can, I, you know, the tools are tools, but things that matter take time. Mm -hmm. And the kind of reward for all true reflection is that we discover heaven is wherever we are. Right. And one of the most menacing assumptions, which is at the heart of the FOMO, that's our current, you know, name for it, but it's been around forever. And, you know, in cave times, every prehistorically, you know, and that is the, the menacing assumption that life is happening other than where we are. Right. Yeah. I was just actually thinking about that as you were saying how, you know, that moment out there is more important than this one here, which is a great way to not feel the pain and the suffering that then builds compassion and connects us with the world. 
And, 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 you know, I was thinking just the other day that in this relying more on like what we're doing here with Zoom and all the internet, you know, I am, you know, been so uh, disoriented by, you know, my lifeblood, like so many people was traveling to be with people in person. Mm -hmm. Oh my, you know, I miss that terribly. And, uh, and I'm learning how to do this. And, and I feel like, you know, the internet is like the wires, like electrical wires, mm -hmm. but the present, our presence is the electricity. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm r really thinking about in terms of we need the wires to carry the electricity, but the wires are not the electricity. Mm -hmm. This, you and I, what we're feeling right now, that's the electricity and it needs a container to move from here to there in this time right now. I think one of the barriers to this, Mark Nepo, is the way we've become accustomed to a flat screen world, to a two-dimensional world. One of the practices that I've been doing with my work with Thomas Hubel and that community is uh, when we get together with pages of people on little, in little boxes, we actually take time to feel into, to see ourselves, seeing the other person, seeing us, and feeling into what are the feelings and what are the sensations, the emotions and sensations that I'm having, and can I discern, which really I've learned takes practice. Uh, uh, people, you know, I do this sometimes just cannot get it because they have this relationship to the two-dimensional world and not to the non-ordinary kind of reality that uh, says we're all connected no matter where we are, the non-dual sense. I think this is also uh, complicating what's going on right now. One of the things I think is complicating all the reactions to our being, uh, sheltered in place and shut down uh, with, with all these different pockets of people who um, are not honoring, uh, you know, the, how real this is and how serious it is. And that is because uh, when we are tied to a literal world, we can't, we can't see simple cause and effect. So because the virus is asymptomatic often, because, you know, we go out and we say, oh, you know, there are people going out and saying, well, it's fine. I don't see anything happening. And of course it will, it will. And so this is where, you know, again, the inner world. And I feel, I feel like why this is so important. And the metaphor here is a, you know, strong tree, like a redwood, you know, now we all know trees can come down in tornadoes or, or with hurricanes, but most of the time they don't come down. And that's because their roots are deep and their trunks are wide. That's why we need an inner life and an inner practice. And it doesn't really matter what it is or what you're, whatever, you're drawn, whatever your heart is drawn to. You know, in this regard, an atheist can have an inner practice. We all need roots and a trunk, and that enables the tree at its height to endure the storm. And right now, we need that. That's, that's what 
we're being called to. I also feel that, you know, I think you may remember Wayne Muller's book on Sabbath many years ago, and uh, he had a, uh, a cornerstone of that was that the definition of Sabbath in the Jewish tradition was, is that one day we don't turn one thing into another. Hmm. We have been forced into a global Sabbath. We are being forced to stop turning one thing into another, to stop bending, manipulating, breaking, reforming, remasking. We've been forced to stop. Yeah. To stop. To see what is and to see each other and ourselves. You know, one of the things I, I learned in the book along the way, the, the second section, as you know, is our true inheritance. And, and I stumbled on that, that, that it helped me add, you know, spiritual warrior has been talked about in all the traditions. I'm just throwing another wrinkle on it here. But um, that the word war goes back to an Indo-European root that means to confuse and mix up. So a spiritual warrior is one who is committed to the clearing of confusion within us and between us. That's been very helpful to me these several weeks. And so anyone who's listening to us, you know, I invite, I invite you to personalize that. Can you look about, spend a few minutes reflecting in inwardly and relationally and, and identify a spot of confusion and what can you do specifically to clear the confusion? When I was in China years ago, just after it opened up, I had a rare opportunity to go with Sidney Rittenberg, who's an American who was there 32 years and um, 17 of them in prison, as well as being the uh, oh. US interpreter between uh, Chiang Kai-shek and Zhou Enlai and Mao. A beautiful story that I won't get into here, but one of the things that I discovered there was the lion gargoyle temple guards, the meaning of those. I, I hadn't known that, and I learned that they're the guardians of the truth, and that one stands for paradox and the other confusion. Ah. I think the greatest barrier to our inner life and inner practice is this uh, cocoon that we live in, this separation that we believe in because I, as Alan Watts said, live in a skin encapsulated ego. Uh, you know, yeah. I can't, even if I'm doing an, an, an inner, inner landscape work, doesn't mean I'm connecting. One of the things in your book you said about the, the quest to know who we are in relationship to everyone and everything around us, and you say, we need to separate things, not to alter life, but to move through life. And I was thinking, how does that contrast with the need to transcend this belief in our separation and recognize our interconnectedness with all yeah, of Yeah, so they, there are two kinds of movements. You know, one, one is the separation, the false separation that um, where we isolate ourselves from each other. And... And often that comes about uh, historically and myself and others. Um, when we, what we go through 
when it's difficult, and even when it's pleasant, we tend to extrapolate that and make a worldview out of it. I'm broken, therefore the world is broken. I'm afraid, therefore the world is a fearful place. You know, um, I'm happy, therefore the world is happy. I don't want to let anything painful in. And, you know, one of the paradoxes of life is that all things are true. And it is the wholeness of life that is restorative, that is the source of resilience, that enables us to grow, that enables us to be more together than alone. So that when I'm blessed to be happy and you're suffering, I need to let your suffering in because tomorrow it'll be reversed. And the way light will fill any crack, our love will fill any brokenness. And we take turns, so we need to do that. And I think, you know, the, the great, you know, Spanish poet uh, Garcia Lorca, Federico Garcia Lorca, he had, a, he had a, a very stark, like, jarring image in one of his poems that I think he, I think, I mean, I don't know, I didn't talk to him, but it talks to me that he was touching on this. And he, he said he had a line that went something like, who can hold a newborn child without also thinking of the skull of a dead horse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think his fellow poets around him said, lighten up, Frederico. Okay, <laughs> whoa. So Lorca. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, what's going on? But I think he was getting at that, you know, that, that space where all things are true. Things come together. Things fall apart always. Mm -hmm. And it is that the letting all of that in that continues to make life more and more precious. And I learned this very powerfully in my cancer journey uh, in the midst of my pain and terror and realizing that, wow, that's true. And down the street, a baby's being born. Yeah. And somewhere else, a couple are making love for the first time. Mm -hmm. And, and it doesn't, you know, and then we tend to, we typically tend to play seesaw with that. Well, if that's true, then what's, what is it that I'm going, what I'm going through is insignificant or the other way that, you know, what I'm going through is everything. And we're asked to let it all in so the heart can absorb and integrate and release a deeper logic of the spirit. But the other side of, of parting that I was referring to there is, is think of when we swim, we part the water, we part the water and it rejoins behind us. And that's how we move through the water. Mm -hmm. A fish, the same thing. And in fact, I would go so far as to say we co-part it because I think what, I think the water lets us part it and that's how grace appears. And life lets us, when we show up, move through it by parting things and that comes back together. So that's a different kind of coming apart and coming together um, in the unity of things. And so, you know, it was, um, I think it was Aquinas who said that, you know, the fairest branch on the tree of reason is discernment. Hmm. The fairest fruit of that branch is reverence. Well, I love that. Yeah, not, 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 yeah, the fairest branch on the tree of reason is discernment. So, 
it said, you know, we have in our, in the kind of separation that's not healthy is the one that's over intellectual and over mental where the fruit of discernment is specialization and critical apparatus and we keep pulling things apart and that's what led to splitting the atom and Aquinas is saying no when we go at that with our heart and soul no 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 we can be just as discerning and careful and detailed but that when we inhabit what we find leads to reverence Mm -hmm. beautiful yeah so beautiful I think, you know, I shared a little bit of, you know, myself going through some challenging times with a breakup and things like that in my life. But I'm noticing um, as I'm really allowing myself to fully feel the feelings I'm having, I automatically have a sense of compassion for other people. It, it, it broadens me <laughs> to um, be in this, in this pain, in this struggle. Um, talk about that aspect of, of um, compassion for the self opening to compassion towards others. Well, I think this has been, and thank you, I, I think this is one of the hallmarks of why it's, it's courageous and, and part of being a spiritual warrior is feeling what is ours to feel and facing what is ours to face because that does open our heart. And when the heart opens, we can choose to ignore it we can choose to run from it but we can't close it we can't close it and so our circle as einstein said widens and keeps wide the more we face what is ours to face the less violence we perpetrate and the broader our circle of compassion and i remember years ago oh i was probably in my late 30s and um I remember being online in a grocery store and there was a woman, an old woman, old, who's probably our age, right? And, but <laughs> then she seemed old to me. And uh, I, old woman in front of me and she was moving so slow with her groceries. Mm. And it was evident that she had, you know, something with her back was severely bothering her, paining her. And I felt compassion immediately. And then as it took so long, I confessed, you know, I felt impatient. Well, then, you know, a year or two later, whichever phase of my physical activity I was in, I think it was jogging then, (laughs) it changes every decade, but then it was jogging and I tweaked something in my back. Oh, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. Now when I see some, ever since then, now if I see someone in line, I go help them carry their groceries. Why didn't I think of that before? Because my circle of compassion, not that I wasn't caring, my circle of compassion was too small. Hmm. And I can willfully extend my compassion and through my suffering, I can let and accept, as you were sharing, that it can grow. And I think that also is an ongoing apprenticeship of compassion. We never stop uh feeling compassionate when we find we have something in common but i have come to believe in the last 10 15 years that that leads us to a maturing of compassion where we are called to offer the same open-heartedness 
to people that we have nothing in common with. And the first time I ever experienced that was, uh, oh, in the 80s, after the, you know, late 70s, early 80s on the other side of the Vietnam War. And I was, I was, um, I was getting takeout from a restaurant bar and there was a vet in a, sitting in a booth, had a few beers and he was grumbling and people were starting to give him space. And I don't know what it was, but I just struck up a conversation with him and turned out he had been a medic. And, um, and you know, and I listened and I said at one point, you know, I said to him, I can't imagine what you've been through. And he slammed his fist on the table and said, no, you can't. And I said, no, I can't, but I'm here. Hmm. And he, he teared up and I teared up and he kept talking about things I had no way of understanding. Hmm. And I think that was the first time that, you know, the compassion we learn which is the ongoing apprenticeship from what we, you know, you have heartbreak, I have heartbreak, I can relate. So that opens my heart, you know, and, and that is also an apprenticeship for when we run into people who we have, there's no way I can understand at all what you've been through, but my heart mm. can feel it. Mm. You know, Mark Nepo, what that reminds me of is I was thinking of your book, Reduced to Joy, <laughs> the other side of that. Are you familiar with uh, Jack Gilbert, uh, the brief, oh, yeah. brief for the defense, that poem? No, uh, I'm not familiar with that. But I'm familiar with Jack Gilbert. Oh my God, it's such a great, a great poem. I, I will send it to you. What he's saying in that poem is that there's sorrow everywhere. One of the things in times like we're in now, uh, and people are beginning to wake up with compassion towards the suffering in the world. I mean, right now there's so many people and immigrant camps and genocides going on and the Rohingya and all these different things happening to people that are, are so far beyond our being locked down kind of experience. And I think that leaves people with feeling like, well, I can't be joyful in the face of, reminds me of um, Joe Campbell, can, can you be joyful in the face of the sorrows of the world? I can't be joyful in the face of the sorrows of the world. And yeah, I, I, you know, that's so important and it leads me to want to share a small piece yes, from, from things that join the sea in the sky that is, um, let me find it, that speaks directly to this. This isn't things that join the sea in the sky. It's called every chance we get. Mm. When you've lost something dear and you can't stop hurting and everyone around you is full of light, let the lightness they carry soothe your sore heart, mm. even though you don't want to be touched in your grief. And when everyone around you is hurt or lost in their grief or near death, just as you've landed in a small patch of joy, don't feel guilty. Just touch whatever they might touch without judgment, leaving a trail of softness and acceptance. In time, our grief and our softness find each other the way light fills every crack. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. We must not resist either, but open before each other and fill each other every chance we get. Hmm. That's beautiful. So beautiful. No, thank you. One of the things I've been grappling in my own adult aloneness is faith. I, I, I have come to the conclusion that I don't have a lot of faith uh, in my life. And I appreciated your perspective on it. I'd love it if you'd share how you see faith and how it allows for our healing, having faith. And you've been, you've, you've had the, the, um, beyond, the postgraduate work on <laughs> that area. <laughs> well, I think, you know, my understanding of faith, and I would call this functional faith, not faith in an idea, not faith in a doctrine, you know, but faith in everything larger than us and everything deeper than us. Mm. And, and, and I think that's, that's what I call functional faith. The, the, so, you know, I, I walk, um, I'm walking on a hike on a beautiful day. I'm almost to the crest of a mountain where I can see this, fantastic view I've been working to see I've been told about it and then I stub my toe like on a boulder I stub my toe like you know the kind where you think you might have broken your toe right <laughs> that kind of and you know in that moment forget the view forget the height the, the vastness the sun the miracle of the day everything my from my entire being is the pain in my toe and then after about 10 minutes, as I limp a few feet further, uh, it's, it's now throbbing. And that's the point where I'm instructed by faith because the, maj the majesty of the view didn't go anywhere. The miracle of the day didn't go anywhere. The sun is still there. And so is the rest of the climb. And I can't ignore the pain in my toe, but I can't let it define me. And so how we proceed, and of course you can replace the stubbing of the toe and the pain of the toe with anything, heartache, loss, grief, you know, injustice. You can replace it with a thousand things, but we, Functional faith is honor facing what is ours to face and realizing the miracle hasn't stopped. Mm. You know, I, I love, you know, Vaclav Havel, the, the yeah, great poet president of the Czech Republic, the first after uh, the communist rule left. And, uh, and he has a wonderful definition of hope that I, I so love and, uh, and appreciate. And um, uh, he says, hope isn't uh, the optimism that things will always turn out well. Hope is the belief that there is meaning no matter how things turn out. Mm. Wow, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. And, I, and so faith, faith for, is always 
our, and just because I say I have faith doesn't mean that I'm not, that I don't have doubt, that I don't lose sight of the sun and the day and the vastness when I'm overcome by the pain through my entire body. But faith is about the return to the larger miracle of life. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. There's an expansiveness of something that happens that if I allow myself, I can look at the larger meaning, the, the greater circumference of my life, so to speak. Which brings me to the, the question uh, that you speak to in the book. And um, again, I wanna say it's the book of the soul. Um, the original title was Creating a Path to What Matters on my copy, but I guess that got changed to um, uh, 52, uh, yeah, because what you know, in a lot of my books, they're, they're, I, I invite people not to race through them, but to live with them. And, and so I thought this one I could structure, invite people to read a chapter a week. So there were over a year. So there were 52 chapters. I love that. And I love the questions. Uh, it's interesting as I was going through the book and highlighting, every time I'd highlight something at the end of the chapter, it would be what you were writing at the end. Oh. Of the chapter. <laughs> this is crazy. Uh -huh. But the question, the question that that brings up to me is you talk about meaning, truth, and kindness as our constant teachers. Yeah. I think that's an important thing to explore in this conversation. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. I, I, so I would say, I would offer that meaning truth and kindness are like spiritual elements you know like we think of the five the elements of earth water air fire you know and meaning truth and kindness are three of the elements that we need to be in relationship with to be fully alive mm -hmm. to thrive and survive and what that looks like for everybody is different so i invite everyone to personalize that but but each of them speaks you know to to these currents or these relational so truth really comes to us through presence and whenever i'm afraid whenever i'm struggling whenever i'm confused we talk about confusion the only thing that restores my heart is presence I have to bring myself, hold nothing back, lean in and be completely present, not toward any imagined thing, but to whatever's before me. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that will start to ground me again in the truth of being alive. And meaning, you know, once I'm present, I am open enough to receive your presence. And that, that, yields meaning so you know meaning is how i you know i need to be who i am but if if i'm just me oh brother right mm -hmm. so the paradox is by being me i am open enough to be open to everything that's not me and that's the world of meaning you know um there's a, I don't, I won't read it now, but there's a, a, a little story I tell in The One Life We're Given, where a widower goes to a, a, a wise old woman because he just can't get out of his grief. And, and uh, 
they're sitting along a stream and she listens and then she she picks up a stick and she gives it to him and uh she says put the stick in the water and he puts the stick in the water and he says that that you can feel the water without touching the water this is how meaning saves us mm. and he says now close your eyes and feel your wife though you can't touch her and he starts to cry and he says this is and she says no one knows how to uh you know how to do this but we all love and we all lose and we all pick up sticks of meaning along the way and kindness kindness comes to us from giving especially when we think we have nothing left to give you know kindness kindness is the the currency of the world that of light of love and um and you know the two two the both come from a chinese philosopher mencius m-e-n-s-c-i-u-s who was 200 years after confucius but he said human beings are innately kind and and like water he said water allowed its true nature will always flow downhill and join other water he said just like us allowed our true nature we will flow to each other in kindness he said we can be manipulated or we can manipulate ourselves away from our true nature but given our true nature we'll just flow to each other and the other thing that he used there's a a, a chinese a notion ethic called ren r-e-n and mencius in trying to there's lots written about it but he also offers an image that that he's he was hard pressed to define it and he said look he said if you see a child on the edge of a well and they're about to fall in what comes up in you to run without thinking to save the child is ren mm. And so meaning, truth, and kindness are the spiritual elements that we have to stay in relationship to now more than ever, now more than ever to, to counter, you know, fear and confusion and, and violence. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love that uh, the Dalai Lama said, my religion is kindness. By yes. Oh. And when, when I think of the idea uh, that I am, am really practicing seeing in the world that we're all born with essential goodness, that kindness is at the heart of that, literally at the heart of that. And one other, one other corollary thought is that reward is that ki kindness certainly solidifies that we're more together than alone and our relationships but also another reward for kindness is kinship yeah. it's not by accident that they have the same root the reward for kindness is the experience of oneness is the our kinship with all things mm. mark nepo so many more questions so much more to talk about the book of the soul is an amazing book. It is our book of the month in the Well of Light. 
And maybe one more question, and that is, I just love the chapter on the student self and the teacher soul. What are the choices that each of those presents to us as we begin to come to an end? So, yeah. Um, so the, what happens there, and that, that, that evolves that chapter out, you know, out of a story of a, an exchange with uh, Ramana Maharshi and a student. But what the, the, that we all have, where I go with that is exploring that we all have a teacher soul, a voice in us, we call it soul, inner voice, God, Atman, Dharma, Buddha, nature, you name it, um, and Holy Ghost, whatever. And, um, and we also have a student self. And the student self is always busy, understandably, navigating the world of circumstance. And so that, that part of us is always problem solving. Now, problem solving is a, a wonderful skill, but it's not a worldview. And so often we turn to our, you know, when, when our problem solving hits a bump and doesn't work smoothly, we turn to that deeper part of us and say, okay, I can't figure this out. Give, give me the answer. Mm. And so our student uh, self is looking for problem solving, but our teacher's soul often says, uh, what makes you say this is a problem? <laughs> our, our teacher's soul says, invites us to look and perceive differently. And we often have, we might recognize, we all, whoever's listening might recognize this conversation. Our, our student self is impatient, says, well, thanks, that helps a lot. I'm trying to figure this out and you're, you know, talking about all this stuff. And, but it's a, it's, so it's a question of, do we manage time or do we open time? Mm. Do we, how do we look more closely and deeply at life or how do we, uh, problem solve our way through it. And this affects whether we live in faith or doubt. This affects whether we fuel faith or doubt. And then it also affects from what place will we live? So, you know, part of our student self will consult our deeper nature and even use it to get through something tricky or painful and then return to problem solving through the labyrinth. Hmm. And so the teacher's soul is saying, no, no, no. Um, I opened this so that you could live differently, not just use our deeper nature like a screwdriver and then put it back. So we are always faced with these choices. You know, there's a, a poem of mine in one of my books is a little story about four people who, travel to the edge and uh there's a there's one who sees everything there's one who sees nothing there's a fearful one and a blind one and you know they are all look out on the edge and and it's too late to travel back so they're forced to stay the night and listen to each other and the blind one says what what will you bring back and the the one who sees nothing says well i'll say all the, what you see is all there is that's what i'll say and the the one who sees everything says, oh, no, no, I'm going to say that we are, we are held by something incomprehensible and beautiful. And the fearful one says, I'm going to say, just stay put. We should have never come. And they all ask the blind one, what will you bring back? And the blind one says, 
I'm not going back. <laughs> Lovely. Oh my goodness. Well, we're at the end of our time, but I want to talk about uh, your upcoming program. I'm very excited about uh, what you're bringing forth. The one life we're given saying yes to life. It's a three session webinar that you're going to be guiding June 8th. And when, you, when I say guiding, when you work with Mark, you're going to be doing a lot of work uh, to really <laughs> explore what's true for you. And that's June 8th, 15th, and 22nd. It's an online program. Can you say just a little bit about that? And what yes, so you know, I'm so I'm excited. This is my, as you know, I mean, I I um, I love traveling and being with people, but can't now, and I'm learning myself. This is my first webinar that I've designed, so I'm excited about that. And yes, it will be three sessions. Um, the first will focus on the nature of being alive. The second will focus on the theme of the wisdom of a broken, open heart. And the third will look more closely at saying yes to life itself and what that means. And, you know, I've, I've put this together specifically to help uh, each other move through this time that we're in, this special time we're in as, as honestly and lovingly as we can and to try to awaken our own gifts and, and tools. So I'm very excited. You, you know, the, the link for this is live.marknepo.com where you can find more details and register. And so I'm ho I hope if people can, you can join us on this journey. Mm -hmm. Great. What day of the week is that? They're Mondays. Mondays. They're three, three successive Mondays. Um, middle 1 to 2.30 seems to be the optimum time given other time zones to try to Eastern, land. Yeah, Eastern time. Yeah, Eastern time zone. Right. to land in you know in other time zones as well wonderful wonderful mark nepo i just thank you for continuing to inspire us with one and after another book and webinar and just the depth of your work always touches me and and excites me and opens me so thank you for being on conversations oh thank you michael it's always great to be with you and a part of your good work uh, thanks Conversations is an independently produced program supported by KVMR 89.5 Nevada City and listener contributions. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinking in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or order any of our past shows, go to our website at arewelistening.net.